Good morning, everyone. Today's reading is 1 Chronicles 28. It can be found on page 356 in the Bibles in front of you. 1 Chronicles 28. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. First Chronicles 28. David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that served the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, the stewards of all the property and livestock of the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the seasoned warriors. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God, and I made preparations for the building. But God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader, and in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. And and of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong and keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then David gave Solomon his son the plan of the vestibule of the temple and of its houses, its treasuries, its upper rooms, and its inner chambers, and of the room for the mercy seat, and the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord, all the surrounding chambers, the treasuries of the house of God, and the treasuries for dedicated gifts, for the divisions of the priests and of the Levites, and all the work of the service in the house of the Lord." For all the vessels of the service of the house of the Lord, the weight of the gold for the golden vessels for each service, the weight of silver vessels for each service, the weight of the golden lampstands and their lamps, the weight of the gold for each of their lampstands and its lamps, the weight of silver for the lampstand and its, and its lamps, according to the use of each lampstand in the service, the weight of gold for each table for the showbread and the silver for the silver tables, and pure gold for the forks and the basins and the cups, for the golden bowls and the weight of each, for the silver bowls and the weight of each, for the altar of the incense made of refined gold and its weight. Also his plan for the golden chariot of the cherubim that spread their wings and covered the ark over the covenant of the Lord. 
All this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord, all the work to be done according to the plan. Then David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the Lord God, even my God is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the Lord is of the Lord is finished. And behold, the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God and with you and all the work will be every willing man who has skill for every kind of service. All the officers and all the people will be holy at your command. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're here with us. We thank you that you've spoken. We just ask for hearts to receive the truth of your word. We ask you that you would give us receptive and tender hearts, that we would, by your grace, receive a spirit of revelation to know you and to understand you and your desires. God, would you um, strengthen us this morning in and through your word, through the hearing of your word, through the proclamation of your word? Would you remind us of your goodness and grace? Would you give us hearts to respond to you in faith? We ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Let's just take the notes and we'll jump right in. Here's a, a quick review for us. So we're walking through uh, Chronicles together. If you've been with us, uh, you know that we have been talking a lot lately about how the Lord's been at work in this season in the life of our church, calling us to a specific and focused season of building the house. And in a lot of ways, that's uh, a shorthand for building his house, building uh, the house of God at the center of our lives together, uh, that we would... Uh, reclaim and rebuild and restructure uh, all that we're doing around rightly ordered worship to the living God. Uh, This isn't just because of, only because of the particular story that we've been walking through as a spiritual family. You know, we've been coming out of a season of difficulty and testing and uh, where the Lord was breaking down things and calling us into uh, some new things. But it's also, I believe, Uh, in line with where we find ourselves in a broader cultural and uh, spiritual moment in our world. Uh, I think this is what God's doing in a lot of places. I think God's inviting a lot of his people to reclaim and restore and remember the glory of rightly ordered worship and to build everything around that as we seek to see renewal in, in, the, in a season where we find ourselves in, in really confusing and really dark times, to, to go back and rebuild the things that have fallen, uh, particularly related to worship and uh, godly households and things like that. Look at letter B. So one of the specific ways we have been seeking to understand and strengthen and establish what God has been calling us into in this season is by preaching through the books of Chronicles. Uh, If you're not familiar or if you need a refresher, the books were written to exiles 
uh, Jewish exiles who had been taken away into captivity because of their disobedience to the Lord. And after uh, a 70-year period, were allowed to come back to their own land, but they came back to a temple that had been destroyed and cities that had been laid waste. And they had a particular call to go into these moments where there was desolation and destruction and to rebuild first the house of God and then to rebuild the cities around them. The books are designed, therefore, to inspire people that are looking at a proverbial ruins, so to speak, and to take up their place and work in partnership with God and his purposes, right? So as we look around us, in seasons of rebuilding, both in our church and uh, uh, in the broader world around us. I, I think there's particular messages of encouragement and strength that we've been seeking to derive as we walk through these books together. And I think we're, there's one for us in, in this chapter particularly. So in First Chronicles 17, David desired, he, he brought out for the first time his desire to build a house or a dwelling place for the Lord. He understood that he, there was, there was a, a, a need for a place where God could be at rest among his people, to be worshiped rightly in, in accordance with the greatness of his uh, glory and majesty. But uh, that vision we've seen over and over again uh, consumed David's life, David's uh, efforts, the things he put his time and energy and focus toward. But we have also seen that God did not allow David to do this. And we even heard that read this morning. David was a man of war. He had too much blood on his hands. And so God uh, did not allow David to fulfill the desire of his heart, but chose rather his son Solomon. Look at letter F. So in 1 Chronicles 22, the chronicler highlights the lengths to which David went to ready the resources we saw this a few weeks ago. That was the, the manpower and the materials, right? He, he set aside hundreds of thousands of talents of gold and uh, uh, millions of talents of silver and these things for the design of the temple. And the people who were going, going to craft it, he, he set aside. And then the chronicler moves for the next section to meticulously outline the administrative needs that were going to go into the people who would facilitate the worship in the temple. Letter G, in this chapter, the chronicler now highlights the final element of David's preparation, right? So these sections, David said, I want to build this house for God. God resisted his desire. He didn't give it an aw shucks moment or start to kick kick the ground and kick rocks and go Eeyore on everybody and like uh, despair and despise that he couldn't do what he wanted. He just focused his energy on preparing Solomon. And we've seen over these chapters how he's done it. He got all the stuff ready. Then he got the people ready. And now we're going to see at the pinnacle of it, he is going to get Solomon and the people not ready to do the work, but ready to respond to the Lord. The most important piece in preparation comes at the end here, and we're going to see that in this chapter. The elements of charging the people, charging Solomon, and the final handing over of the plans to build the temple. So let's look at the text here this morning. David charges the people. These are the first eight 
verses of First Chronicles. We heard it read that David assembles to Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, officers, commanders, stewards of property, palace officials, mighty men, seasoned warriors. I mean, this is, this is everybody's gathered. Everybody that matters in the kingdom is gathered. I mean, I don't know if, uh, it feels like for some reason, Americans love the royal family. I don't understand why. I thought we sought independence from it. I don't know why we give our time to it in any way. But, you know, if, if, if you cared about that or, you know, you were told to care about it because it was what was on the news, uh, this is like the coronation, right? That moment when everybody with all the pomp and the, the fanfare and everybody who's anybody is gathered there for this moment. That's what's going on here. So David gathers everybody to this assembly to commission Solomon and charge them of how to respond. After expending extensive time outlining how he's prepared materials and the administration of building and facilitating the worship in the temple, the chronicler now highlights the task that David is gonna step towards seeking to prepare both the people and Solomon to respond to the call that God has placed upon them. This section begins as David assembles all of these people together, representing something that we've stated again and again as we've walked through this, that David has a particular desire to order all of the kingdom around worship. This is the most important part. He's done all this work. He's put all this time and energy into it. And you would imagine that the, the whole culmination of this would be to anoint Solomon as the king, right? So that he could be the military leader or the political leader or the person that oversees the administrative systems, you know, the Department of Transportation and Agriculture and all that stuff. That's not what David's building all this fanfare for. He's building all this fanfare to give Solomon the keys to orient all of Israel's life around worship to the Lord. That is what is being gathered to here. Look with me at page two. So David stands up, he addresses the assembly, and he outlines yet again his desire to build a resting place for the Lord that would serve as his footstool. However, we've seen this Time and time again, the Lord would not permit David to build the house because there was excessive blood on his hands. We see that in verse three. God said to me, you may not build a house for my name. You are a man of war and have shed blood. So because of this, David rightly understands God's purposes and he outlines from verse four to seven how God went about choosing Solomon for this task. He uses this fourfold narrowing, right? Starting with Judah. And then out of Judah, he chose David's family, his father's family. And then he chose David. And then out of all of David's sons, he chose Solomon. He's, he's revving up that God's purposes are at work in this and God is behind it all. Therefore, the call to respond to it matters. He's setting them up saying, this is what God has been orchestrating. This is how God has been at work. We find ourselves in a moment and in a season where God has been leading toward this time. And now all we have before us is to respond to what God has been doing. So in verse eight, David gives a specific and particular charge to the people to respond. 
to God's sovereign leadership demonstrated in the choice of Solomon. Not only were they called upon to receive and follow Solomon as their king, which is what you would expect, right? Hey, this is the guy that God chose. Obey him. Serve him. That's not the charge. The charge is to exhort the people to walk in a spirit of obedience before the Lord. Look at verse eight here. Now, therefore, in the sight of all of Israel, the assembly of the Lord and the hearing of our God, he charges the people, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God. Observe them and seek them out. And I want to just highlight three things from this verse as it stirs us to how do we respond to what God is doing in our own lives and in our spiritual family? What's the tenor of it behind it? What's the heart posture behind it? We're gonna spend a lot of time working through that this morning. But in this verse, we see two commandments and one promise. The first command is to observe. And David speaks here of a heart that's set to walk in a spirit of obedience to the commandments of God, right? There is a specific importance of a call to obey that's required as God calls his people, right? The first thing that we have to come to grips with is when God puts a call before us, when he calls us to himself, when he calls us to his purposes, when he calls us to respond in accordance with his mission or his purposes in the world, the first call as we have uh, heard it and received it by faith is observe, seek to obey. Now that's a, that's a weak setting of our hearts. That doesn't mean we have to walk in some sort of like sinless perfection. It means that our hearts are set on obeying the Lord, that what he says we will do, that no matter what he calls us to, we say yes. So David looks at the people and he says, as we're entering into this new season, as we're walking into this place, I want you first and foremost, as you see Solomon and his leadership, as he is stepping in to further the purposes of God here, people of God, observe God's ways. Observe God's ways. And then he says, seek out obedience to the commandments. This is, we've seen again and again, one of the primary themes all throughout the Chronicles. We've seen throughout the book, both positively and negatively, what happens when people do not seek to walk in the ways of the Lord. We saw that with when David tries to transfer the ark Remember before he seeks out the way that God had designed to do it and Uzzah dies on the threshing floor because he reaches out and tries to grab it? We saw it in the way that David went about to number and order the people through the census in chapter 21 when he didn't follow out or seek out the way that the Lord desired for that to happen and it brings forth judgment upon the people. Right, So he's standing up and he goes, guys, let me tell you from experience, as we step forward as a people into the new season that God has for us, observe his ways and spend time seeking out what he desires. Seek out his ways, his, his passions, his plans, his purposes. And then he gives a promise so that you might possess the land, right? There's a conditional promise tied to this commandment 
to seek the ways of the Lord and observe or obey his commandments. This is tied to experiencing God's covenant blessing and and an inheritance for their children even. So David commands the people. He calls them observe and seek out the ways of the Lord. And then he turns specifically to Solomon in verses nine and 10. So he seeks to prepare him in the most important way necessary to walk before the Lord in fulfilling his assignment. And I think this is, we, 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 have, to, we have to come to grips with this. We've seen a lot of important ways that David has prepared for this work to happen. I mean, it's been belabored, right? The order of names and the administrative uh, processes that have been put in place for this to happen, the money and the energy and the time, the thought, the strategy. There's so much that has gone into this. And it matters, right? The externals of it matter. It's not like they don't. But we come to this crescendo And I think we could rightly argue that this is the most important part of his preparations. As he looks to Solomon and shapes Solomon's internal heart response to the Lord as he's seeking to walk in obedience. Letter B, David understands that the action of building the temple is remarkably important. Obviously, he understands that. However, he first understands that Solomon's heart posture in the pursuit of obedience is of supreme importance. Because of this, David charges Solomon to walk with a whole heart before God as he seeks to walk out the calling that's been put before him. So here's a, here's a real tension that we have to understand. And I'll, I'll, I'll expound on this later, but I just wanna introduce it here. Here's a tension that we have to come to grips with. Obedience really matters. Obedience really, 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 really matters. Okay, so you, it, it, don't, don't ever buy the lie that like, because God looks at the heart, what we do doesn't matter. That's, that's a lie. Obedience really matters. But obedience without a spirit of humble, faith-filled sincerity toward the Lord is not pleasing to the Lord. Right, So to just take the external and walk it out in this rote manner without a heart of responsiveness that is full of faith towards the Lord, that is not pleasing to the Lord. And so we have to find a way to live in this tension because sometimes if we say, oh, God looks at the heart, God cares about your heart, we might think that he doesn't care about the externals. And that's not true. Obedience really matters. But obedience, rote obedience done without a heart that is submitted to the Lord in faith is not pleasing to the Lord. Okay, so we'll walk this through here. So what does David charge Solomon with? Look at verse nine. First, he tells Solomon, I don't even have this in your notes, but the first thing that he tells Solomon to do is know God. Know God people of God, in your lives, in our spiritual family, as we move forward, both individually and corporately, as you have things that you are grappling with in your own calling and in your own vocation and where God's inviting you in your life. And as we're doing that corporately, 
the first thing of first importance that we have to receive the charge of is know God. Know the living God. Live in relationship with him, in communion with him. Live in a posture of being toward him with submitted, humble faith, in trust and in devotion. Live your life before him. Fill your heart with his truth and his word that you might know him. That is the first thing he commands. And then he moves to the next thing. Serve him, how? With a whole heart and a willing mind. I want to look at those two things. Look at letter C, a whole heart. The people of God are to seek to live before him in a posture of wholehearted obedience. This means that there is no place in our lives. What wholehearted means is that there's no place in your life that is off the table to the Lord. That's what wholehearted means. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, that you've attained some state of sinless perfection. We won't have that till glory. But what it does mean is that you don't get to reserve parts of your life and say, you don't get to touch that. It means when God does start to touch it, you say, yes, Lord. And as you stumble in it, you repent and receive God's grace again and continue to step forward in a spirit of obedience submitted to him, you may not get victory for a long time. You may weak in, in, a, in a weak posture, st stumble up against that one again and again and again, but it means you don't hide it off in a place of darkness or say, no God, you can't have that one. You submit it all to him in a, in a posture of wholeheartedness. Jesus number one here, commanded his disciples to be perfect as the Father is perfect. And I believe this is speaking of living with a posture of wholeness before God. The word that's translated perfect, you could also translate as whole or full, right? There's a wholeness here. Jesus is not commanding you to live in a posture of sinless perfection, devoid of the grace of God in order to be accepted by him. He is inviting you to live with a posture of wholehearted submission to him along the way. You want to know how I know Jesus knows you're going to keep stumbling and sinning throughout the rest of your life? It's about 10 verses later when he teaches the disciples how to pray. What's one of the things he asks them to learn again and again? Forgive us our sins. Right? He tells you to pray that every single day. He knows you are going to continue to stumble until the day you see him face to face. That's not what he's asking for here. What he's saying is live with a heart that's fully open to him, saying anything you want, you can have. That's what he means there. You could also tie this to living with what you call like an undivided heart or uh, a, a manner that is fully pleasing to the Lord. We pursue this as we set our hearts to walk in obedience before God in every area he has revealed to us and ask him to strengthen us and dispense his grace for obedience in them. You can read those scriptures on your own. Go to the top of page three. So he tells Solomon, serve the Lord with a whole heart. Secondly, he tells him, do this with a willing, devoted mind. Similarly, a willing mind is a mind 
that is submitted to the ways of God, both in what we think, meaning what we believe to be true, and how we think, what we submit ourselves to, what we say yes to. Now, here's, here's a, a thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately that um, is gonna, gonna hit us hard. It's been hitting me hard. As Christians, here, here's, a, here's a hard reality, a pill that we have to swallow. As Christians, we do not get to choose what we think. We don't get to choose what we believe. We don't get to choose how we think about the world. We have been given things to believe. Okay, autonomy in the way that we think about the world is actually a lie. It's a lie. We are either submitted to the Lord or we are submitted to darkness. There is no neutral ground. There is no way that I can just figure out what's true for myself. It is absolutely impossible. If I submit to that and just go, I'm gonna figure out whatever's true for myself, you actually aren't figuring it out for yourself. That's the oldest play in the devil's playbook. Go read Genesis chapter three. Hey, you could think about this one your own way. You're not actually being invited to think about it your own way. You're being invited to submit yourself to the patterns of the world. This really matters. We have to be called to have a willing mind submitted to the truth of God. Number one, how do we do this then? We subject our mind to the truth by renewing it in partnership with God's revealed truth as made known in his word. Right? This is where he's told us what to believe and how to think about the world and how to make sense of who he is and what's true about us and what's true about the world and how are we to live in the world. We have to submit to that in a posture of willing receptivity, saying, Lord, change my way of thinking. Change my ways of being. We repent and renounce worldly, sinful patterns of thought and receive his truth. This is Paul's charge to the Romans. Don't be conformed to this world. Meaning, being conformed is really easy, right? It's just what we drift into, naturally. It's like the current that's moving along and we're gonna find ourselves floating along in it. And Paul goes, don't be conformed to the patterns of the world and its thinking. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? We take God's word. We fill our minds and our hearts with it. And when his word says something, we say, yes. I believe it. I don't try to excuse it away. I don't try to make it uh, fit into my preconceived ideas of the world. I say, yes, Lord, your ways are good. Reveal yourself to me more. Make yourself known to me more. Make me love your good ways more. Change me. 
We also do this by seeking to tear down demonic thought patterns that seek to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. How do we do this? We wage warfare against them by the means that God's given us. Here's the means. Worship, proclamation, thanksgiving, prayer, the sacraments. God's given us means to wage warfare. He has. The weapons of our warfare are not flesh and blood. It's not us yelling louder. It's not us just like uh, getting ourselves stirred up more. The weapons of our warfare are song and the word of God proclaimed, bread and wine, waters of baptism. As we give thanks to the Lord in a spirit of humble trust to him, that's how we push back darkness in the ways that we think. Right? So here's, here's a real one. When you walk into a spot and your life is overwhelmed, you feel like you can't take another step forward because the pressures that are crossing upon your life are just pushing in on you. And you are tempted to go, I can't go forward. That is not true. It's not true. It might feel true. It might be what you see in the moment, but the word of God invites us to believe 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that nothing befalls us in which God does not provide a way for us. Not one thing in our life befalls us in which there is not a way to experience God's grace in the midst of that. So what does your warfare look like there? You give thanks to the Lord for what you can for salvation, for life, for the fact that the sun came up this morning. Like, I, I don't know, find something to be thankful for. Give, give a, have a spirit of gratitude in those. Come to the gathering of the saints, lift up your voice in song, declare the truth of who God is in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of our discouragement. Lay hold of the truth of who he is. Come to the table in glorious, grateful fellowship with the saints of God and remember that when we were enemies, Jesus Christ took on humanity so that he could come and take the suffering and the pain that you and I deserve by nature and he could take it so that we could have his life that we do not deserve. Celebrate that. Come and receive those realities with the people of God again and again and again. That's how we submit ourselves with a willing mind and wage warfare. So why do we do this? He then goes on, right? Know the Lord, your God, serve him with a whole heart, serve him with a willing mind. Why? Why? For. David tells us why. Tells Solomon why. Why do we do this? Why do we give ourselves in this way? For the Lord searches the heart and he understands every plan and every thought. The grounds, the very grounds for setting our heart and our mind to serve the Lord wholly is rooted in the truth that God looks at the heart. He sees it, he cares, he, it matters to him. Although obedience to the task was important for Solomon, right? They, they, had a, they had a charge to build up this temple and the people and obedience to the tasks before us is important for us, right? As a, as a spiritual family, it's important. 
as individuals it's important, but it must be coupled with a heart of faith and wholehearted submission because God is not merely concerned with the external act. He searches the heart and understands the intentions and desires of all people. Throughout the scripture, we see God's looking for a heart that's toward him. That's 2 Chronicles 16.9. You can read that on your own. David, I think, had a particular understanding of this. Right? Look at 1 Samuel 16. Back in the days when David was just a boy, shepherding the flocks outside of Bethlehem, there was a thing spoken over his life that I think shapes his understanding of why he can give this charge to Solomon. Samuel comes to anoint the new king of Israel, comes to Jesse's house, goes through all of the older brothers. The first one comes and he goes like, this is the guy. He's tall, strapping, handsome. He's the guy. Everybody's going to want to follow this guy. He's got weight. He's got gravitas. He's the man. What does God say? He tells Samuel here, do not look at what he looks like. The height, the stature, because I have rejected him. Why? Because the Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord looks on the heart. Everybody else judges everything by what they can see. The Lord does not judge that. The Lord judges the heart, evaluates the heart. We must remember that outward obedience is necessary. Faith looks like something. I, I say that all the time, right? Faith actually looks like something, but it's not sufficient, right? The external is not sufficient. Our obedience to respond to what God is at work doing in our lives or in our church must be mixed with sincere desire to respond to the Lord with the whole of who we are. Now, let me just... Let me make one quick application point here. Sincerity doesn't mean that you quote unquote feel it, whatever that means, right? Like uh, whatever, whatever it means to be like to feel it or be authentic in the moment of feeling it or whatever, like sincerity doesn't mean that. It means that in our hearts, we make a choice to take God at his word and respond accordingly before his eyes only. Not because of what we're gonna get out here in the eyes of people or in the accolades of people or uh, what might come of it, but because we want the Lord to see it and we will take him at his word. The reason I wanna say that is oftentimes making that choice comes opposite of what you feel. Right? So a lot of times it means we act out of accordance with our feelings, right? Because I'm walking through in a moment of despair, I feel like I want to give up. Sincerity in that moment would be, God, your eyes see. God, would you give me a heart to trust in your word above all things? I'm going to take another step in faith to pour into this thing again whether that's prayer or giving or spending my energy here or uh, uh, walking out this, this part of obedience. I'm gonna do that before your eyes because I wanna take you at your word. I believe you see it. I believe that you will do good by me in this. I say yes to it, even though I don't feel it at all. So don't, don't mistake sincerity equals you feel it. 
okay? Number four, God cares about the inclinations of our hearts in the places where no one sees. This is writ large over the scripture. Jesus says this again and again in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 6, over and over again. Do these things in secret, why? Because the God, your Father, who is in secret, he will see it and he will reward you. He sees it all. He sees the, the, the reach of your heart to be pleasing to him, to walk in his ways, to submit your life to him, to, to reach for him when nobody's looking. He sees it. To serve people when no one's looking, he sees it. And he cares. So he calls Solomon, know God, serve him with a whole heart, a willing mind, because he searches all hearts and understands every plan. And then he gives this glorious, glorious, glorious promise. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you seek him, he will be found. This is a wonderful promise that God desires to dwell with his people and desires to meet with his people. God acts in his sovereign grace. He invites us to respond to him. And he promises us that if we seek him, after him with a whole heart, he will be found by us. This is, this is a, I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about this. This is an unbelievable deal, okay? You were running headlong into darkness. You hated God, I hated God. We were running our own way. He showed up. He came and gave everything. He lived the life we couldn't. He died the death we deserved. He rose again. And then he orchestrated human history in such a way that someone would come and tell you that news. And then you believed it, right? You were given a new heart. It worked in you. The spirit animated you, gave you new life. You came alive and you said yes to it. He, he did all that. Then... That's enough, right? That would be enough. Then he goes, okay, I'm gonna set it up even more. Now what I want is for you in your utter weakness, in your stumbling, bumbling, fumbling way. I know you, you know me, we know each other. We know who we are. He goes, seek me. And we're like, ah, uh, I'm not that good at anything. And he's like, I will be found. I will be found. You can bank your life on it. You will not be ashamed. You won't give your life to seeking after the ways of God and show up one day and regret an ounce of it. He will be found. He's proclaimed it to you. He's promised it to you. Take him at his word and seek his face. Do it in weakness. Do it in in. in like the, the insecurity or the immaturity that you have. He's not asking for you to do it perfectly. He is abundant in his gracious mercy saying, come seek me and you'll find me. I read a book one time, I can't even remember where it was, but a guy talked about in the early parts of Proverbs when wisdom's crying out and saying, come seek me, come seek me and you'll find me. And it's this portrait of you know, the wisdom of God and how it's set up. The, the author said the, uh, the, the idea of this 
is like God is this man, strapping guy, calling out, seek me and you'll find me. And then he goes and hides behind a little sapling. He's like, seek me, seek me, come and seek me, come and seek me. He is going to be found by you. He does not make it difficult. He has stacked the deck so that he will show up to you. This is the way that he promises it. And David, as he's about to hand this over to Solomon and go, hey, you guys have a lot of work on, uh, in front of you. The, you have some important work in front of you. Here's how I want you to respond. He goes, hey, if you do this, if you seek after the Lord, I promise you, he will not leave you to be shamed. If you seek him, he will be found by you. I feel, I feel this really strongly for us, right? We're coming to the end of this year. We've been talking a lot about building and what's in front of us as a church and the things that are in front of us and all that we want to see God do here, right? These, these seeds that we're trying to plant and we're going, God, would you bring them to fruition down the road? Would you one day bring forth a harvest of righteousness and joy and peace and families that are strong and, and, and uh, relationships that are knit together and uh, gospel ministry that has impact in our city and worship that ascends to you, a presence-filled, a saturated place where you receive the glory Do your name. And we're going, there's work in front of us. And we all feel that in our own individual lives. We're trying to rally us together as a corporate family. And I want to go, hey, as we come to the end of this year, these charges, I want to hit us. I want to go people, us, family. Can we kind of like sit down around the proverbial fireplace together and go, let's put it all in for the Lord. Let's put it all in for the Lord. Let's serve him with a whole heart. Every area that he says, every single area he says, we say nothing's off limits. Nothing's off limits. Nothing that I have is off limits to you. My tongue, my time, my money, my eyes, what I look at, what I give myself to, uh, that, that thing that I'm caught up in, nothing is off limits to you. I say yes to it all. Would you give me the grace? We say yes with a willing mind. We go, what you say is good. We're gonna submit our lives to your word, your ways, your thinking, your patterns, your plans. Yes, Lord. We understand that he cares. He sees it. He looks at the heart and he, he cares about it. And then we're filled with the promise. We're filled with faith. Hey, if we go all in, if we go all in, if we take it all and put it all in, if we do the whole like go sell everything to buy the field, we will not be ashamed. He will show up. He will be found by us. This is the promise of God's word. If we seek him, he will be found by us. Amen.